Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Pray with me. Holy One, may the words of my mouth and the meditations and attitudes of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Were you a little bit surprised? Did your ears perk up when I read today's gospel from Matthew? As I said, it's from the Sermon on the Mount, and it's in the passage where Jesus gives his disciples what has come to be called the Lord's Prayer. But were you a little surprised that it didn't sound like that it had some different words than the Lord's Prayer that we pray every Sunday? And did you notice something was missing? What was it? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Where was that? Okay, Pastor John, what are you up to? Sounds like you're messing with our Lord's Prayer. Well, yes, in a way, I am messing with it a little. For many of us, the Lord's Prayer and perhaps the 23rd Psalm are the first passages of Scripture that we may have memorized as children. And the Lord's Prayer has become an integral part of our worship, so much so that we say it together every Sunday. And for many of you, that's comforting, familiar. Yet there's a danger in that degree of familiarity with something. Saying it can become rote, something we do automatically, without even thinking about it. Now that doesn't always happen or happen for everyone, but it happens often. So it's a good idea as with every routine practice, to step back once in a while and re-examine what we are doing. So that's what we're going to do this morning. First, about that version of the prayer I read, why is it different than what we say in worship? Well, there are a couple of things going on. First, I read from the New Revised Standard Version. Oh, well, then what we must use in worship must be from the King James Version. You know, the one that some claim to be the original Bible. Well, it's original only if Jesus spoke Elizabethan English like Shakespeare. Not quite. Interestingly, when we pray what many consider the traditional Lord's Prayer in worship, and the one that's printed in your bulletin today, We use a version that's actually a mixture of the King James Version and the Revised Standard Version, or RSV, the predecessor to the New Revised Standard Version. And of course, there is now a New Revised Standard Version updated edition. 
We say with the RSV, our Father who art in heaven, rather than which art in heaven, as the King James does. And we say, as we forgive our debtors, with the King James Version, whereas the RSV and the NRSV say, as we have also forgiven our debtors. A change in tense. Isn't that interesting? I'm not sure how that came about. And then we end the prayer with the King James Version's doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But neither the RSV or the NRSV include that doxology. How come? What's with that? Well, the committees translating the Bible in the 1940s, which became the Revised Standard Version, used Greek manuscripts dating from the third 300s, 400s, and 500s of the Common Era. The translators of 1611 used the Latin Vulgate from the late fourth century when they made their translation. The oldest Greek manuscripts do not have the doxology. So the Revised Standard Version translators did not include it. In all likelihood, the Vulgate added the doxology to reflect common practice in worship in the early church. Doxologies as endings to prayer are common throughout the Bible. The passage from 1 Chronicles today is a prayer by David when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. And it is one long extended doxology, great celebration. Oh, by the way, I made one editorial change of my own to the Matthew text from the Revised Standard Version or NRSV. Did you catch it? I said, do not abandon us in the time of trial instead of lead us not into temptation. What's that about? Well, it turns out that lead us is a possible, but probably not the best translation of the Greek text. Plus, I've never been really comfortable with this notion that God would lead us into temptation. And we have to ask God not to. We can find our way there all by ourselves. We don't need God to lead us there. It turns out that the translations in other languages, French, German, Spanish, etc., are more along the lines of do not abandon us or do not let us fall into temptation. So I didn't just come up with this change all by my lonesome. In fact, Pope Francis approved it in 2019 for use in all English Catholic services. Now, I'm not on a crusade to change what we say in worship. I'm sure better scholars of Greek than me have had thoughts like this for years. But tampering with the Lord's Prayer is not something one does if you don't want to rock the boat. We preachers have a saying for things like this. That's not a ditch I'm prepared to die in. But it is something to think about.
Do we want our children learning the prayer as lead us not into temptation? End of digression. Okay, so we have a prayer that's a mixture of the King James and RSV translations. But it's not how the prayer has come down to us that we really need to focus on. It's what we are saying when we pray it that's important for us. If we really think about it, the Lord's Prayer is a strange prayer. As John Dominic Crossan, a noted scholar, has observed, it is prayed by all Christians, but it never mentions Christ. It is prayed in all churches, but it never mentions church. It is prayed on all Sundays, but it never mentions Sunday. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but it never mentions Lord. Isn't that odd? In fact, some scholars of the New Testament say we really should call it instead the model prayer. Jesus doesn't pray this prayer elsewhere in the New Testament. He simply gives it as an example of how we might pray. And there's no mention about using it in every worship service because, well, Jesus wasn't even thinking about a worship service for a new faith called Christianity when he was teaching. That was not on his mind at all. So what does the fact that Jesus gave his disciples a model prayer tell us about that prayer and prayer in general? Several things. First, the model prayer is not a set of doctrines. Jesus didn't say, this you must believe. No, he said, pray in this way. He didn't say, use these exact words, which is good, because if he had, we would be praying in Aramaic, the language Jesus spoke every day. Second, the model prayer is a communal prayer not a private or personal prayer. Psalm 8, which we read responsibly, is a very personal prayer. It's a prayer of someone crying out in anguish, crying out in despair to the Lord. And one of the things that the ancient Hebrews taught us through the Psalms is that it's okay to cry out to God when you're angry and when you're frustrated and to even say, God, what are you gonna do about this? They give us great models for that throughout the Psalms. No, this is the, the model prayer is a communal prayer, which is why it probably ends up being used in worship. Notice that all the pronouns are plural. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. The first person plural pronouns are meant to remind us that following Jesus is too tough for us to be able to do it alone. That we are meant to be in community and that God's kingdom, that community, is for all people. As a community, we pray together in worship. 
We don't have the pastor pray it for us. It's a public joint prayer. Finally, sometimes as we introduce the Lord's Prayer at the end of the pastoral prayer, a pastor may say, now as Jesus Christ our Savior has taught us, we are bold to pray. Why bold? Hear what Frederick Beekner, a Presbyterian pastor and writer, has to say about that. The word bold is worth thinking about. We do well not to pray this prayer lightly. It takes guts to pray it at all. We can pray it in the unthinking and perfunctory way we usually do only by disregarding what we are saying. We do well to remember that when we say, thy will be done, we are not asking God to do what we want. No, we are pledging to do what God wants. Thy kingdom come on earth is what we are saying. Beekner then goes on, and if that were suddenly to happen, who would be welcomed in and who would be thrown out? Which, if any of our precious visions of what God is and of what human beings are, would prove to be more or less on the mark and which would turn out to be as phony as a $3 bill. Boldness indeed, he goes on. To speak the words of this prayer is to invite the tiger out of the cage, to unleash a power that makes atomic power look like a warm breeze. So you see, when we pray this prayer, brief as it is, we ask God to use us to bring about the vision of love and justice that is the foundation of God's love for creation and for its creatures. Just as Jesus summarizes all the law into two commandments, love God and love neighbor, in this prayer he summarizes what we are to ask God to do and how to align ourselves with God's will to bring about that vision of creation restored. Still interested in praying that prayer? You'll have a chance in a few minutes. <laughs>